This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is brought to you by Fish Flight Entertainment. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash YVR Screen Scene Podcast. So this is usually the part where I'm, I'm go through how the podcast works and I'll be first I'll be like have you listened to the podcast before and people like if they say uh yes I'm like that's good because it's actually a test um and if they say no and I'm like that's okay it's not a test but it was totally a test um and then I'll be like so I introduce the podcast I introduce you and then I make a thesis statement and then we have a conversation that's but, what I did okay okay yeah. okay okay <laughs> I did my homework. But I'm not doing any of it today. I'm handing it off to you. I'm excited. So I guess it's up to you then. Great. Well, let's get started. Okay. And this is the part where the music goes in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast where we pull back the curtain and expose the beating heart of the Vancouver film and television industry. Namely, the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work. Capital T, capital W. I am not Sabrina Ronnie Fermager. I am her friend, Sharon Taylor. As this is Sabrina's podcast, she really needs no introduction. As we, of course, already know that Sabrina is an award-winning film industry journalist, podcaster, and content creator. But today I want to dive deeper into some of her life experiences that make her who she is today. Like, did you know that this woman can sing? <laughs> okay, I'm definitely diving into that one later. Oh my god. And did you know that Sabrina is a fiercely loyal and supportive friend, as well as an incredible mother to her daughter, Mari? Aww. And what I don't think people realize is the tremendous amount of work that is involved in putting together a single podcast while still balancing her personal life and motherhood. I'll catch her on the phone and she'll tell me that she just spent the last 20 hours watching multiple seasons of a TV show in order to prepare for an interview with a guest. And what her podcast guests soon discover is that one hour is often not enough time to talk to Sabrina, as you can talk to this woman for hours. She's a multifaceted human being that can talk about multiple subjects. And one of my favorite things about her is her brain. Oh my God, Sharon. She has a beautiful, quick-witted, and intelligent brain. However... In life, sometimes one's greatest asset is also one's greatest challenge. And I would like to pull back the curtain on this wonderful wizardress of Oz. Is that a word? Wizardress? Fuck it is now. Okay. Oh my God. Sabrina, welcome to your <laughs> YVR screen scene podcast. Sharon fucking Taylor. Is this how it feels? This is how it feels oh. when your guests sit opposite you and you do this wonderful introduction for all of us. You've done the research. <sighs> we feel humbled. We blush. <laughs> I I am I am honored to be here. I I am 
Honestly, I'm speechless. And I'd- as listeners to the podcast know, that doesn't happen very often. Fuck Sharon. How does it feel beautiful. to be on the other side? Are you nervous? Do you do you feel excited? I'm I have I mean, I love spending time with you. So I'm excited. And uh, spoiler alert, uh, we each finished a tiny little like it's a mini bottle, but a, a bottle of like mini uh, champagne before <laughs> we started to record. So I'm feeling it. She's spilling the tea, you guys. <laughs> spilling the tea very early. Um, you know, so that kind of like loosened up the tongue a little bit. But no, I'm. Uh, I feel seen. I feel really seen right now. Well, and, you are uh, seen. Fuck. You I, are YVR seen. <laughs> you screen. are. You are a dad joke. Look <laughs> at you with the dad jokes. <laughs> I'm the mother of dad jokes. Okay. Oh my God. Okay. 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 I'm gonna be serious. This I is know, your show. I'm gonna let you. Well, let Sabrina, you do what you got to do. Sabrina, now I would like to get into how this. YVR Screen Scene podcast originated. And I know that we've talked before about how in the evolution of the Canadian film industry, we continually see how the American actors are often more valued than the Canadian Mm -hmm. actors. And we're friends with Canadian actors who have over 100 credits on IMDb profiles. And their resumes include series regulars and leads of TV series. Yet the general public doesn't necessarily know their names, and these actors still struggle to pay their own rent. And if those same actors were in L.A. or in the United States, they would be making double or triple the paycheck. Oh, yeah. So now I want to talk to you about the Canadian star system. (laughs) What star system? And, and, or lack of, (laughs) and how you would like to change that. I mean, it's... It's why I do what I do. It it is literally the foundation stone of YVR Screen Scene, YVR Screen Scene podcast, and all my work that actually predates the podcast. I've only been doing the podcast since March 2019, but you know I've been doing this work for years before then. Um, I, man, I don't even know where to start with this. I came to this work because of my dear, dearly departed friend Darren Shalabi, um, who, I mean, he was a star. Like, he was a star who for many years wasn't, did not have the fame that was worthy of how much of a fucking shining star he was. Yeah, he was a very talented man. He was so talented, and he, you know, and when you think about, and FYI, this is a spoiler, I am working on a podcast project about Darren uh, that is about his life and about uh, his career journey and what it tells us about the star system or lack thereof in Canada. Um, but, you know, he grew up in Manchester, England, uh, this half Persian kid watching Jackie Chan movies and wanting to be in movies and wanting to be, you know, a martial martial arts guy. And, uh, you know, he went to Hong Kong. He studied hard. He, he made a lot of his dreams come true. And then he came over here you know a great actor and also a martial artist with this like and so hot like just like honestly he had the whole package and I watched him hustle in in ways that I I didn't realize that actors hustled so this is like 2002 2003 like I we I got to know him pretty much like right after I moved here because 
this was back when Paul was working at the video store and Paul and Darren like that's how like they had a meet cute like they met over uh, action movies and, and stuff because Paul was just out of film school and still working at the video store and um, like they fell in love with each other and Paul kept the world's stupidest longest demo it was 15 minutes long uh, and so we would have like Darren came over to our house and then they would work out every day but anyway that's how I got to know Darren and through Darren I got to see this guy like it was it was wonderful insight into how the industry actually worked because for me I just thought well if you're an actor and you have lots of credits and you're working that must mean red carpets and like swag bags and like you're like pe- like every day you open your door and there's like all this fan mail everywhere and people are and through Darren I got to actually see the reality I got to see what the hustle looks like. I got to see the the toll of preparing for auditions, hundreds of auditions, and you don't hear anything back. You know, I got to see like the like the the devastation and the work and the sacrifice, you know, and unlike a lot of other career paths or jobs, acting is a calling. You know, it's you're you're an artist. It's a passion. You know, and it's that's cha- that's yeah. The that's hustle very, is grueling, yeah. and you have to have a passion and a love, or else yeah. you're not going to make it to through. Keep, like to keep going, right? And mm-hmm. so, but I just I was so disappointed, disgusted. Like I I to see how hard Darren was working. You know, because every time you prepare for an audition. You're working, not getting paid for it unless you and you know unless you actually book it. But you're working hard, and then you have the disappointment on top of disappointment. And you know, so I, I got to see what the sacrifice looks like. I got to see the toll, you know. And um, it just it really that's where my respect for artists and for actors in particular really solidified was through Darren. And um, one of the reasons that I make this podcast. And what really informs a lot of the work I do is Darren, because he he exists. I mean, so Darren died of a heart problem that he didn't know he had in early 2015. Um, I was a couple of years into my, like three years, three or four years into my film and TV journalism at that point. Um, but, you know, obviously not the podcast yet. But I create content for people like Darren, people who who feel like they are on the outside of the community or who don't realize, you know, who think that they are alone in a lot of their struggles, their mental health challenges, their, their the fact that they have to have other jobs. Hey, in this city, you have to have other jobs if you want to be an actor. Mm-hmm. It just go like the hustle the is jobs. real, right? The side hustles in order to pe- pursue your dreams. So, you know, so that's a big part part of it. As far as the star system goes, I mean, I, I don't think, and I'm not like high on myself when I say this, but I li- we're literally sitting in a studio that I've built to host people who work in film and TV, right? Like, I don't know if you're going to find a bigger fan of the people who work in BC film than me, you know? I, I, my belief is, like, it's right there. Um, part of what, I, what needs to happen, though, before we are going to break through, you know, to... It's like more widespread um, acceptance of the fact that, that, you know, all of you are fucking stars is that each and every one of you need to believe that you're a star. I love that you just said that because giving people a platform and a voice 
even myself as your friend, when you first asked me to do the podcast, and, I, and I'm sure perhaps other people have had the same reaction, I think to myself, oh, what, what would I talk about? I'm not even yeah. interesting enough. Or like, why would she even want me? I've heard that. I've heard <laughs> I don't have anything to promote right now. I'm like, but this is your passion. I want to hear about your passion. Like, you're sitting in an office that's surrounded by, like, my geeky treasures from my childhood and, and also recent years, frankly. <laughs> like, uh, Honestly, not- <laughs> for those of you listening, I'm looking at a bookshelf full of figurines. There are Star Trek people yeah, here. Yeah, there yeah. are Smurfs. There are California Raisins. Yes, there uh, is a California Raisin. got a yeah. gem doll. I got an Amanda tapping uh, Sam Carter, which I ordered recently. <laughs> I'm sure she's thrilled I mean, if, to have a if, do- your doctor. <laughs> she's she like, I know. I haven't mentioned it to her yet, but oh, I, I can't wait till you rad. tell her. She's gonna be like, I better always be nice to Sabrina, or she, you're gonna turn that into a voodoo doll. <laughs> no, I'm glad there's oh no God. dolls of me out there. Ah, uh, yeah, I there should be Sharon Taylor. Would you buy figures. one? Yeah, <laughs> would I buy one? I would buy. I would buy so many. I would have a, a special okay. case built with like lighting and stuff. Well, I would um, have a Sabrina doll too. <laughs> but I, I just. I, I really feel like, I mean, within Canada, it's it's like there's the Toronto screen screen mm-hmm. scene, and then there's everybody else. And you know, I think a lot of us out here have internalized this idea that like we are less than because you know we serve the American stories, you know, or we're not Toronto. Well, fuck that. You know, like we we work hard. We're fucking talented. You know, like we we shine bright. There's a reason they fly us out to Toronto. I'm not an actor. I'll say us. They fly us out because I do consider myself part of the industry. Right? You are. Um, thank you. <laughs> I've always described myself as being embedded in the industry. You know, like a like a war reporter, but um, in the trenches. I'm in the trench. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's it's. I have so many of my best friends, like yourself and, and other people that listeners have heard multiple episodes from, who who are are like my dearest friends, right? So I feel like it really invested, you know, even more because it's like it is us versus everybody else, and I want to bring everybody all around the world into the 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 passion. I talk about the beating heart, right? My interest, yes. the passion of our screen scene. Well, and that's one of the things that I think you actually really accomplished because I had an acting teacher a very long time ago that would come up from L.A. and be teaching classes in Vancouver, and he would say, there are so many talented people here. He said, I don't understand why you guys aren't creating your own work. Yeah, You're so talented. Um, and then what we need as performers is people like you to help us get the platform. Yeah. And that's one thing that you do is you interview and give a voice to artists who are creating their own work and they are promoting their independent films. And so kudos to you for that. Thank you. And this better not be all kudos. I'm just saying, Sharon, I invited you on here too to host to like, you got to push back against me too. Oh, I can roast you, know? you if, I, if I need to. I'm keeping this that in my back This isn't a compliment pocket. episode. <laughs> I mean, I'll take it. I'll take it and I'll listen to it when I'm feeling very low, which well, happens often. Well, say. okay. You are um, a fangirl in so many ways, which you just fan described. Woman. Fan woman. Fan <laughs> So I wanted to also talk yes. about your love for science fiction and comic books. Yeah. And, um, and what I love is that you are a true blue 
fangirl. Like you go the distance. We just talked about the figurines. You wear the clothes. <laughs> I do. I don't know anyone that has as many Star Wars outfits. You were at an awards show with me once, and you were wearing a Wonder Woman dress. It was so impressive. Yeah, I've um, done that a few times. Actually. I know you've got the posters. <laughs> So what is it about the comic book and sci-fi genre oh, that appeals to you? And and so where does this love come from? I mean, there's a sense of... <sighs> this is going to feel like therapy, because i got to go back to my childhood. <laughs> back to when I was a little kid. And, you know, growing up, um, God, I was so awkward, so gangly. I had a really bad haircut and giant glasses and... Um, straight A student, um, kid of color, you know, like one of the only, like my daughter, she's uh, South Asian, Ukrainian, Filipino, English, and like, but she's not like a quote unquote other in her classroom because there's so many kids who have like, you know, very rich cultural backgrounds. backgrounds. Right. Mm -hmm. I felt where I was growing up um, in Montreal and then my teen years in Southern Ontario, I was very much... Uh, islanded. Very, I, I was very aware of my otherness. Um, and bullied uh, as easy, not as, as easy, but I formed so many of my deepest friendships in my 30s. Um, and they say, oh, it's so hard to make friendships in your 30s. Um, I did it. I've done it. I love it. The closest friendships I have are with women. I'm looking at one of them right now. But like that I've met, you know, in my 30s. Um, as a kid, though, like I did not grow up with a lot of friends at all and I felt like very much an outsider uh, but so it was I had to create fantasy worlds mm-hmm. um, and you know find safety find community um, and and dream and I found that through books that was a huge part of my life um, everything from I mean, J.R.R. Tolkien, you know, to like murder mysteries, to Judy Bloom. Like, I just like, I had books like in my face all the time. And, uh, and then through science fiction, science fiction, television and film. And I think what I love, you know, about things like, I mean, I want to talk about the next generation specifically. Um, although st- start, uh, Star Wars and the X-Files are also both really up there for me. But Star Trek The Next Generation, which, I mean, it hit me when I was seven years old, right? Like, I was just about to turn eight. And I watched it 1987 to, like, 1994, I think, like, was the original run. Uh, and so it hit me at, like, the right age in my loneliest years. I mean, once I got to high school and I was doing musical theater and law, and, like, I was, I, I mean, I had a great time in high school. Um, and that's also when I went kind of, like, into the closet as far as my sci-fi watching as well. I kept it to myself because being a nerd and a geek in the 90s was not hot. Um, I think when watching that, though, otherness was celebrated. uh, And I was watching a show where I actually saw people who kind of sort of looked like me, you know, like Marina Sirtis, who who played um, a half Beta Z woman named Deanna Troy right like she mm-hmm. was this empath and you know she everybody had, was in love with her yeah and she had dark eyes and she had you know big dark hair and she could sense people's feelings and and honestly like I mean how about you growing up like how many times did you see somebody on TV who looked like you you know like they're they're it, it 
it was really magical and powerful and who she, what she looked like and who she was it wasn't a big deal you know so that's where that started um and then I kind of went like undercover like with it you know for many mm-hmm. years and uh well, I think society was changing a little bit too around that time um Shows like Revenge of the Nerds, uh, they were empowered in the end. Yeah. And nerds were almost celebrated. And then... We got there eventually. One of my favorite movies is Weird... Like, growing up was Weird Weird Science. Science. Yeah. Yes. And the nerds, again, they overcome and they dominate. Yeah. We're not social out... Considered social outcasts anymore. And the cool thing is that nerds, you know, those of us who grew up watching Star Trek The Next Generation and... You know, being nerdy, quote unquote nerdy, with our big glasses and our, you know, reading all these sci-fi books and stuff. We're creating the content now and people love it, you know. And that's, and it's like, I, what I love about nerds is that they're so passionate about stuff. And there's nothing more exciting and sexier than passion. And it actually kind of makes sense that I, like, I didn't, okay. I'm sorry if you're listening to this, Paul. I love you very much. Been together, what, like 22 years? Um, But one of the reasons... Oh, he's going to be so surprised. He's not going to be surprised at all. One of the reasons, though, that, like, we we had a moment where we were like, okay, where are we going to move? Was he going to move to southern Ontario, where I was based? Or would I move out here to Vancouver, where he was? And honestly, the thing that was, like, a deciding factor for me was the fact that I knew a lot of the sites and stuff because of the X-Files. <laughs> <laughs> That's literally, like, one of the main reasons that I wanted to move out here, you know, to this you, place. That you was you like, watch that show and you're like, it's dark and raining all the time. Yeah. Let's go there. It's mysterious. <laughs> I mean, story. Oh my God, Sharon, I love stories. It's yes. about stories, you know? I mean, yeah, I love, like... Like, whatever the show, like, even now, like, I love, you know, sh- like, s- shows that take place in space or, like, sh- like sci-fi shows that take place here. But it's got to have a great story. And well, I, I mean, think that the most fearless storytelling, for, like, for me, what really, like, really, like, floats my boat is, is sci-fi. Yeah, sci-fi and fantasy. The yeah. possibilities are endless. You can yeah. do anything within those stories. Yeah. They're not stuck in the constraints of realism. Yeah. And, you know, as far as things like social justice um, and um, diversity inclusion and things that have always been important to me, even before I knew what the words for those things were, um, it was happening in, do you need to take that? No. (laughs) I turned my ringer off. We're going to edit that portion out. No, we might keep it. We might keep it. It's okay. No. Put my I put mine on silent mode before I record. I did too, but it's um there's a certain member of my family that I have on emergency call, so Well that's is it an emergency? Me. Is that your child? <laughs> well see if she's okay. Jeez. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. I don't even have my child on emergency. I really probably should. You can do that. There's a setting in your phone. I didn't know that. Oh, if you're listening to this, Mari, I'm sorry. (laughs) I will put you on that setting. But don't take advantage of it. It better better matter if you're going to call during the podcast. Yeah. So, um, segueing into... So, you were just talking about how that voice gives you, like... Um, the want and the need to create change. So mm. to mm-hmm. quote a famous comic book, 
I love it. With I love great it power comes great responsibility. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you know what comic book that's from? Just uh, side note. Was that? Um, I mean, we that hear the Amazing Spider-Man. It is. Oh wow, you knew it. So I hear that quote all the time, but I actually had to go because. I actually had to Google it because I was yeah. like, Where, which one is that from? It's from Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, so you, you have a voice on a public platform and, and there's mm. huge power in that. You've successfully cultivated an audience for your work and as much as you promote the Vancouver film industry, you also bring awareness to other important causes and movements. You've done podcasts dedicated to the Black Lives Matter movement, racism within our film industry, and you recently hosted an online benefit to support COVID relief in India. Mm. Other entertainment journalists and reporters, they, they might shy away from sensitive subjects, but you are never afraid to dive right in. So why do you think it's important for someone like you to use your platform and use her voice in the way that you do? Oh, man. Well, if not me, then who? I mean, that's a huge part of it. Um, I mean, I when I started this work, I worked for a newspaper, and I had an editor, and that editor had a publisher. Like, there was a whole pecking order. Um, now I work for myself, and there's a power that comes with that. There's, there, is a, there was a responsibility and a power um, Which brings me to yeah. another line. There was another line. <laughs> you must use this power only for good. And then I feel like I've heard it, but I didn't know where that was from. Uh, I, I googled it, but it's nothing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to use it on you. I just I feel this power. You must use it for good, Sabrina. And you do. Yeah. I mean, I I try and I fuck up and I get things wrong as well. But you know, we are at a moment right now in history. I mean, although we're always at this moment in history where lives are on the line, right? Like, there's our, there are social justice movements, there are civil rights movements, and, you know, but, like, right right now, it's, it's almost like the things that it used to be okay to say, like, we are now making, people are getting educated, and they're learning to sit in the discomfort and, like, having this internal model of it. I can't say that, and I understand why it's okay not to say that, you know? And I think that... I want, like, I serve a lot of different audiences, you know. I want to elevate and amplify and empower um, the voices of people who have not traditionally been heard. Um, I want to also speak to people who are good, um, but who don't know quite how to be an ally or who might not realize that the stuff that they're watching or the things like the way that they speak or the way that they like that they're very that because of their experience are very limited and I want to open the world for them you know and honestly like I it's so weird because I know that I'm a film and tv industry podcast but I really think of myself as a human being having really cool conversations with people. And I really feel like through those conversations that we can show the breadth and the depth of like the human experience, you mm-hmm. know? And everybody has a story and that's, and I like to bring people into the magic of those conversations. And what I mean by the magic is like just showing people why, 
why people do the things that they do and like the kind of humanity that powers the screen stories and that's why we end up talking about things like poverty and like sexual violence and mental health and you know being indigenous you know um under you know settler colonial control and what that has meant and you know being a uh a person of color you know in a white supremacist society and you know i just it's I also think of the people who are not able to, for whatever reason, have these conversations with people in their own lives. But maybe where they experience the conversation is in the form of the podcast, right? So that's a really good point. A lot of people don't have backgrounds and families where they can speak openly about different issues. Yeah. So I think when you make it, when you normalize it, yeah. Then that can be something that people can, you know, a tool that they can bring into their everyday life, normalize conversations. Yeah. And people are like, these conversations are important. What we see on screen is important. Like, and I, I want to spend a lot more time in the future on the podcast talking about uh, trans rights and talking about uh, trans activism and, you know, the ways in which this society, like the ways in which we're losing people and that we're losing lives because of how trans people are presented on screen, how they're treating in the industry, um, because like it's a huge human rights issue. And if you look at, you know, in the States in particular, like it's one of these areas where the the politicians, they might not have be comfortable saying we want to ban, you know, um, black people from going in bath in bathrooms or whatever but they'll say that about trans people you know so it's it's Mm -hmm. a we're losing people we're losing people to murder and we're losing people to to death by suicide so these are these are huge things and you know yeah we're a film and tv industry podcast but film and tv holds up a mirror to the larger world right so i think this is as good a place to have these conversations as any yeah and you these conversations um you yourself, you've been open in the past about your own mental health struggles. Girl. <laughs> yeah. And, and you suffer from panic attacks. I suffer from general anxiety disorder, from panic attacks, from depression, from PTSD. Yeah. Um, well, I remember being with you at a friend's barbecue, and and once mid-conversation, you you broke into tears, yeah. and, and your breathing changed, and you said to me, I have to leave now. I'm having a panic attack. Yeah. So, yeah, I've actually been around other people who've had, you know, similar feelings and they weren't readily able to communicate how they were feeling like you could. Ugh, what and, a journey it was and, to get. Yeah, and those other individuals potentially, and, and they have, they just suddenly like walk out and would disappear from the barbecue. Mm. But for me, I've always been struck by your bravery and your honesty surrounding the subject. <sighs> wow. And, Thank you. Um, you talk about it in your podcast. You write Haven't about it on Twitter. Haven't always been that way, Sharon. Has not always been that way. I have not always been comfortable talking about it. Okay, so when when did you first realize that you were experiencing pa- panic attacks? How old were you? <laughs> um, when I was twenty five, uh, on my twenty fifth birthday, I had this intense. Pa- I thought I was having a heart attack. Um, I had been kind of spiraling in depression without even realizing that it was depression um even back in the early aughts uh 
I mean, we didn't talk. Of, it wasn't that long ago, and yet we did not talk about mental health in the same kind of way as we do now. We didn't have the language to talk about it. And plus, like, so I'm, I'm, I'm moved to a new city. I don't know what I want to do. Um, I'm getting afraid to go outside, and uh, and I'm in my 20s, which is a hard time anyways, not looking after myself. Um, I turned 25. And uh, my grandmother sends me the, and I start, and like there had been a whole series of like losses and, you know, just unhealthy living. Okay, Mari, if you're listening, <laughs> step away from that. Great. Smoking t- way too much weed, um, which does not help. Uh, this is like 2000, this is 2004. And, um, and my grandmother sends me a birthday. It leaves me. I was gonna say it sent me text. It was not texting. It was a it was a voicemail, that was like, um, "Happy twenty fifth birthday!" Either a third or a quarter of your life is over. Ugh. And I, I know been, people say that as a joke, but still, it's not. I wasn't in yeah. the place to hear that. I'd been thinking a lot about about you know. There's a moment. There are moments when you like your mortality really hits you. Yeah. Um. And you don't. I was I had a very shaky foundation. I'd had trauma that I'd never dealt with, as well. That you know. And I just um. Yeah. I had a really. I had a panic attack. Uh. That. I thought I was dying. Like I. I. There's anxiety attacks. There's a beginning of a panic attack, and then there's this feeling that you're having a heart attack, and you're like, "What? What is happening?" You and I had thought that I'd broken myself, um, that I was never ever like even once the, the the intensity of that attack was over, the shaking, the 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 feeling of of doom. There's no point to any of this. Um, there's no point to life, you know? Like, it's, it, I just want it to stop, and there's no way to make this feeling stop. Like, it was, it was fucking intense. Um, even once that receded, though, I was in a place of, like, I was in a very intense depression for a few months after and needed to um, rebuild myself. And it wasn't until, and I would do that throughout the years, and I would have, like, one panic attack a year or two panic attacks a year. And, um... But then learn more coping strategies. I, I mostly mostly stop smoking weed at that point. Um, why are you laughing at that, Sharon Taylor? <laughs> well, because if I reveal information about you, I'm revealing information about myself. We have an NDA myself, about that so. shit, okay? Um, but, you know, there's only so far you can go without help. And as time has gone on, and especially in the last five years, five or six years, definitely beginning with with the death of one of my dearest friends who is like a brother to me. Um, there's only so far you can go without help. Mm. And I was getting to the point in 2018, you know, my, my daughter had been very sick um, and it had been eight months of just a doctor's appointment doctor's appointment and and she couldn't I don't want to like say too much about that but it was like not sleeping through the night and then all of a sudden like she's better and she was amazing Paul wasn't there a lot that year he was he was actually he was working on Invincible Uh, (laughs) like it's not the right time to plug his show but he was direct he was like working which side note it's an amazing show on Amazon Prime if you feel like watching it it's a dark dark animated it's like show. the most um violent so comic book show you're ever gonna see um but you know but then everything was better but then i was getting a panic attack a week 
and then a panic attack a couple of times a week, and then a panic attack every day, and then I was just stuck in this place of panic attack, panic, dread, despair, fear, all the time, and thinking about death all the time, and got to a place where uh, I, I was, I didn't take any action to die by suicide and take any action to kill myself, but my God, it was on my mind because I didn't, I thought that I was broken and that because I had, I had broken my spirit and my psyche that there would be no way of recovery, of recovery. Mm. And, um, and God bless Paul because he was like, you're sick. You are you need to go to your doctor. You need to see a doctor because, because something has happened and, and there is help. And I went to my doctor who was wonderful and who actually had been my partner for dealing with a lot of the stuff with my, when Mari was really sick. And she was like, after everything that you've gone through, you've never dealt with it. After everything, and, and carrying this, the the burden of that, and then all the stuff before, you know, this is the, the trauma impacts your whole body. It impacts you know your physical self and your and your psychological, emotional, mental well being. And I got help, and I almost like I immediately. Wasn't that like I felt better, but the fact that that you know she prescribed I prescribed antidepressants for long term and then anti anxiety meds for the the short term and the fact that within a few days I was feeling so much better mm-hmm. I wasn't thinking about death all the time I was hopeful again mm-hmm. was I was like fuck what if I hadn't what taken if I those hadn't? steps to what get if, help what if Paul I, if I hadn't been sharing my you know, because on the surface, I looked fine, you know, um, on the surface, I was still doing what needed to be done. Um, but if I hadn't shared my terror and my panic and with him, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I shudder to think about what could have happened, right? So mm. it's made me really aware of, um, and I'm not going to say that it's all easy, and I took some magic pills, and then I'm totally fine all the time. It's a lot of work. Um, I still get panic attacks. I I still... My God, especially in the age of COVID, there's a lot to be terrified about, you know, but totally. You have generously placed a bottle of hand sanitizer right in front of me. And yes. I'm and we're speaking through plexiglass. Yes. You know, like it's it's ever present. And, you know, but like, you know, the following year, like Paul got really sick and overseas, which was a very stressful situation. But because of like looking after my mental health and, you know, for that previous year in bad times and also in good, um, I, I didn't break right away. I've learned, I think, better to, like, move with the stress and the chaos, you know, of, of just life in this world instead of breaking. And, you know, so I, I do use social media and the podcast and however I can to speak out about, to normalize mental health stuff. Um, because like to, to speak out like the, I'm having a panic attack today mm-hmm. um, to help normalize it because mm-hmm. I don't want to lose anybody else. I don't want to lose anybody, you know, to and if 
like maybe somebody feels that they're alone, but you know, with panic attacks, but then they also know me. They they'll they will know that somebody else who they think might you know, have this like super glossy life where they talk to shining stars all the time. Well, this this is a reality. And you know what? All those shining stars, they also have mental health issues. And I love whenever people are generous enough and to share that part of themselves with me in mm-hmm. this room. Well, it's important to normalize it. Yeah. That creates open conversations. And then if you don't have a Paul in your life, yeah. you're still comfortable having an open conversation with someone else who might yeah. step in and say, hey, maybe you need help. Yeah. Um, and there is, there are all sorts of resources, international resources, Canadian, American, European, Asian, which I will put in the footnotes for this episode. Um, you know, because there are people who are dedicating their lives to to help, to help you right now. Because, you know, if you had, I mean, I, mean, I know this has been said again and again, but honestly, if you had a broken arm, you get help for that. There'd be somebody who would mm-hmm. set your arm and, and then you would heal, you know? Like if, if you've been wounded in some way in your spirit, in your psyche, in your soul, in your mental health, there are people who can, who can help, mm-hmm. who can help mend you. So I will, put, I will put links to resources in the footnotes. I'm not going to make you do the footnotes for this episode, Sharon, unless you want to. <laughs> I can try. <laughs> it's fine. I got It'll you. Be like, I got thanks you. to my Instagram. Yeah. No, just kidding. <laughs> um, you, you have a Paul in your life. And one of the things for myself that I love about you is that you have been able to create a long-term marriage. Mm. And... Um, I, like I'm envious, and I'm sure many people are. So, Girl. what what are the secrets of having like a long term partner partner and making it work like that? Oh my god, I don't want to sugarcoat things. It's a lot of work, right? It's not always, <laughs> you know. It's like any relationship that matters. It it's, um, I I think that we have we benefited from the fact that we were long distance at the very beginning for three years. Well, I love how when you first told me the story of yeah. when you guys were dating and you were long distance and you had to actually talk on the telephone, right? This is like dial the number, call on the phone. Okay, you did a rotary phone thing. <laughs> Paul never not long distance in 1981, okay? It was well, I don't know. What were the rotary phones? 1999 was gone. when we were long distance. Okay. 1999 to 2002. Well, I'm sure some people had a rotary okay, phone Okay, but, then. but, okay. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you this um, and the listeners and hopefully my parents aren't listening or Paul's parents. But like we would even like, you know, we would call and we would have sexy talk on these phones where I'd be in my parents' house and he'd be in his parents' house. And I don't know if you remember back in the day, it wasn't all cell phones, you know, so somebody else could pick up the line, you know, and listen in. Because it's the family phone. The family (laughs) phone. Because we didn't get cell phones until later. Um, Although... That time, I credit that time with a few things, and I just don't mean the phone sex times. Um, but the the ability to communicate, mm. because the only way, so this is even before like FaceTime or Zoom or, you know, being able to see each other, right? Like if you, ICQ, that, do you remember ICQ? No. Okay, well that was a very early, early, kind of instant messaging app okay. that you could have on your computer. Um, no photos, no no video, like typing words. Um, no emojis unless what you created from 
you know, with a with a colon and a parentheses. Um, Some people are really good at that. <laughs> so good, so good. Uh, but we we I mean, the only way that our relationship could grow is if we communicated, if we spoke, um, and we did like that's and every day and we value that time together you know and it was like we lived in different cities and we went to different universities like it's our relationship there was nothing about it that like made sense except for the fact that we really wanted we liked each other we loved each other we wanted to be together and um and you know there was a yearning that was there and I think the time apart actually even though it's been almost it's been a couple of decades. I mean, I moved to Vancouver in May 2002, you know, as soon as I graduated. I was out here. But we've never really lost that, like, appreciation of being together. And the only kind of parallel that I found, like, in talking to somebody else was talking to Paul's grandparents. Mm-hmm. Um, because Paul's granddad, he was too young to fight in World War II. But... When he got older, he actually was part of a team of engineers that went to Germany, English engineers that went to Germany to help the country rebuild uh, because the country was destroyed, right? And, you know, so there were, like, a good, like, two years where, like, he, he got married. So Granddad Ken got married to Grandma Nancy, and then he, was, then he left, like, a few days after, and he was gone for two years. And they wrote each other letters. And they mm-hmm. yearned for each, for each other. And is this the grandfather you have the tattoo of? No, that's Paul. That's this is my the tattoo grandfather is my grandfather. Your grandfather. Uh, this is Paul's Paul's mm-hmm. grandparents. Um, and I think that uh, appreciation for each other, like that time away, that absence, it just made us, you know, really appreciate each other. Now that's, but I also feel like it should be said. We're not always in the same, like, emotional or psychological place at the same time. Well, that would be impossible. Yeah. We're two different individuals. Yeah, so. we're two different individuals. And the expectation that it's all going to be smooth sailing or it's all going to be um, that you're always going to be on the on the same page. But uh, I think there was a quote. I'm not going to Google it because if I Google it, it could just, like, shut down this entire recording system. And I don't want to do that. But there's a quote. It's by... Um, I think his name is uh, Antoine Sexpray. I'm going to say that wrong. You just wanted to say the word sex. Yeah. No, that's no, it's not the name I wanted to say. Okay, I'm totally going to Google it. Um, Did you say sex sprite? No. Wow. Is yes. that what you said? No, I didn't. But oh. I'm Googling. Um, okay. So it's a book by Antoine de saint Exprès and um, The Little Prince, right? It's oh, very huh. famous. So uh, so saint Exprès, and I'm going to do some Googling, um, has a quote uh, that I love um, that is about, uh, you don't always have to be looking each other in the eye, uh, but you should always be looking in the same direction. I fucking love that. Like, mm-hmm. that's such a wonderful visual, mm-hmm. you know, because Paul and I are not always in the same, we don't always have the same um, ideas of what should go on, but we're both, like, really committed, you know, to, like, growing into the same, into the same place. Yes. And, um, oh, no, I like him. Like I think wanting the best for your partner, yeah. even if it doesn't, you know, concern you or like you know if you want the best for your partner whether it means like a paycheck or something it doesn't mean that the paycheck it's something that benefits the family it's just like something that your partner gets to 
you know. Yeah, there's no competition accomplish. with Paul. Like I'm like we're such a we're total on the same team and on the mm-hmm. same right. page. Right. On the same we, team. That's yeah, exactly right. Yeah, we really right. we lo- I don't know. I think we like each other. That's good. Yeah. Um and um he respects uh um, he won't talk to me first thing in the morning. He's learned that that's not a good thing. And if he if he does, he's going to give me a cup of co- black coffee with a little bit of olive, of uh, coconut oil in there first, mm-hmm. so I can drink that, and then we can talk. You know, so you like learn these things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's important. You know, we learned that early on. But I don't know. Like I like I just there's no. I don't know if there's like a secret, but. You know, I just, I, it shouldn't be that hard. Mm. But at the same time, it's so funny because, like, I'll, I have friends, I'm not going to say who, but I have friends who are like, you know, they will be dating or they'll be talking about this. Oh, my like, God, I've me, been you're with, talking about me, aren't you? No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> not anymore. But, like, talking, um, Paul and I have been together since we were, like, 18. He was 18, I was 19 years mm-hmm. old, right? Like, there's, like, a whole world. Like, I don't know how like to move through this world you know uh, how that would even be as like a as a single person and I like I have so much respect for single people and people like you know who like really know like who they are and have spent that time like you know on themselves and like I just like because Paul and I are like we've like, in a lot of ways like we're like he's like my thumb. Yes, but I don't know how to not time, to. You grew together, and that's important. yeah. Because we met when we were kids, we mm-hmm. were children. I mean, you were forced to grow together, and yeah. thankfully you did. And yes, and and it worked. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's okay. We'll keep him. Mm-hmm. Okay, enough about Paul. Is this a Sabrina podcast? Yes. <laughs> so okay, watch so, watch Invincible on Amazon Prime. Yep, Paul's show. Yeah, he directed totally two episodes. Super was, dark. The end of the first episode, my yeah. jaw dropped to the floor. I was like, "What? Yeah, the hell stay did until I just after the see? credits, and then the oh last five minutes." Yes, after the credits roll, there's like a segment right after the credits, and yeah. just like, "What did I just?" You see? think that you know, but you have no idea. Um, yeah, Paul was the only one to direct two episodes uh, of that show. Yeah, and voice talent includes Mark Hamill, J.K. Simmons, Stephen Ewan. Um, yeah, big fucking show. All the big guns. All the big guns. Yeah. Well, and okay, Paul so, fucking Furminger. So because this is the Sabrina <laughs> podcast. Thank you, Sharon. So I'm going to circle back to you. And so w- one of the really cute things is that one time um, you and your daughter Mari and I, we went to a movie. Yeah, we did. Mari handed me a CD. And so she's like, this is my mom's CD. Oh, my CD. God. I forgot she And she that. gave it to me as a gift. And so I have it in my car and I have listened to it multiple times. Oh, my and it's God. it's you singing. Ah! It's you singing, you and so like, this. oh my god! I it's mean, just me I'm and sure, piano. I'm sure those of you at home didn't realize <laughs> that Sabrina Furminger cut a CD. I did cut a CD. She she is a singer. I so sing. tell me more about um, that part of your life, the sing, your love and passion for singing, and uh, and I understand you did tra- even training for singing. Yeah. Man, where does where does start on that? Okay, so I grew up in the '80s, which was the best decade to be a kid. Like, I don't know if people know that, but it was the best I could to be a kid, and the pop music was the best. I wholeheartedly agree. Yeah. And I have this very, um, very, like, visceral memory of standing on the picnic table of my parents' house in Kirkland, Quebec, and I got, like, a a little, like, one of those, like, kids' garden shovel things, and I'm using it as a microphone, and I'm, like, singing Madonna and Cyndi Lauper and the Bangles' Eternal Flame, and I just, I, 
where I didn't have a voice in other areas of my life, I had a voice when singing. Um, and, you know, as much as I am a sci-fi nerd, I am also a musical theater nerd. I am an old, like, classic Hollywood musical nerd. So always, always just singing. Like, my mom, even before we had, like, a cassette like tape deck in the car she had like a cassette player with batteries and like we would listen to like we would just like she would just always have different music playing and and did you ever make those cassette tapes with your own voice singing into them and like creating your own mixed tapes (laughs) yeah it's really like I actually um I would make my own radio programs where I would be the announcer and I would record commercials and then I would record songs those exist I have those yeah so, do you want to give us a little something right now, or, or should we save it? Uh, <clears throat> there are worse things I could do oh. than go with a boy or two. Even though the neighborhood thinks I'm trashy and no good, I suppose. It could be true, but there are worse things I could do. Ooh, I just got goosebumps. So this is you telling me that you're more of a Rizzo than a Sandy, I think. Fuck yes, I'm a Rizzo. I was Rizzo in two productions of Grease. So (laughs) basically, one of them was Steve (laughs) Lobo. Lobo was Kanicki. Steven Lobo, previous guest on the podcast. That's how I've I've known Lobo longer than I've known, with with the exception of my family. Than I've known anybody else in Vancouver. In Vancouver. Yeah, because That's I, cool. I, I was in his very first time that he ever acted or anything. Was in a community youth version of Greece in like the mid nineties. Um, yeah, I just singing is just is just a part of. It's cathartic too. It is so fucking cathartic. I didn't need to pursue it as a career. Um, although I did have um, a quartet for a few years called the Sabrina Furminger Quartet, and we would play at um, like the CD that I gave you was like my like demo for that, like to give mm-hmm. to like club owners or to event planners, and I would have like these amazing sets. Yeah, so you actually not performed. sex sets. Okay, thank yeah. you for clarifying. Yeah, we no we performed. I performed a lot. I love singing in front of an audience. Um, but I would have like the best set of my life, and you know, it'd be like in a in a, a room with fourteen hundred people, and they're like I'd be like yeah, and then like they, no one would even clap, like because they're because all drinking. They're so and, drinking. Yeah, yeah, they're drinking and they're hanging out, and I was like, man, like I don't think this is the best, you know, use of of my energy and my passion. Um, it was not fulfilling in that way. Although those events paid damn well, and I love paying my musicians. But well, I know exactly how you feel because as an actor, there was many times I did theater, and there would be more actors on stage than there were in the audience. Mm-hmm. And as much as I loved acting and performing on the stage, yeah, there was something about the connection with the audience that we weren't getting that made it disheartening. And that's a huge part of it, right? Yeah. Um, there were moments in my life where, you know, I, I auditioned for opera school because mm. I studied. So I went to a performing arts high school. It was like my ticket out also away from like all the kids who were bullying me, you know. And, you know, I got to like create a new version of myself that was closer to who I actually was instead of like the box that those kids had, had put me in. And, um, you know, so I sang a lot, you know, uh, and I trained up and I did music competitions and I did Grease. Um, and, uh, but you know, I mean, there comes a point where I'm like, 
how do I want to like my I can express myself in a, a variety of different ways, right? And how do, how do I want to express myself? How what stories do I want to tell and what's the best way for me to tell it? And, um, you know, I've always been a writer and I've been uh, a storyteller, I think orally, Mm -hmm. oral storyteller, like this kind of, this work. And so this is where I've put my my passion, my focus. But, I mean, I love going for karaoke. Uh, It's, I play the piano, like I have the piano that I learned on in my home and I'm always playing and singing. Um, music is huge in Mari's life, you know, and uh, it's it's there. I mean, frankly, I did, a, when I got married at my second wedding, Paul and I got married twice in a year. We had two weddings. So at the second wedding. <laughs> an East Coast wedding and a West Coast wedding? Uh, a West Coast wedding and an England wedding. So. Um, is England considered the East wedding? Paul and I met in England. We met at a castle in England, and he's originally from England, from this, you know, town in the English countryside uh, called Eastbourne, and that's where we met. And so when we sat, he proposed. I'm like, so next day I get my binder, and I'm like, okay, so we're going to plan. What do we want for a wedding? And he's like, I want to get married February 25th, which is the anniversary of the day we told each other we loved each other. It was also the day that he proposed, and frankly, it was also the day that we conceived Murray in 2010. Anyway, Whoa, February 25th, that big is a fucking day. Big day. That's a big day. Um, but he was like, I want to get married on February 25th in Eastbourne at the town hall there and have like a tea reception and have my family there. Great grandma, who um, she lived to be 110. She can come. Like, And I'm like, I want a party. I want hundreds of people. I want to do it up. I, and so we just decided our compromise would be doing both. And we figured out how to do both. So in mm. February... 2006, we had an England wedding, and then in July we had a big Vancouver wedding, and it was so dope because at that, at the wedding, I I programmed all of these like my friends. I have so many friends who are performers, so like I was like like I have a friend who um he was the choreographer of um this. Ashley McIsaac tap dance routine from Whoa. the opening ceremonies of the 2010 Olympics. Um, although this was a few years before that, but like he's a tap, like he he toured with like um, Stomp, and so he Legends was like a of dance. yeah, but like so, but he was like a, this like really cool like urban tap dance guy, and so yeah. he did a set. I had friends that I went to performing arts high school with. They did sets, and then I did a 45 minute set. Like, at your own wedding? At my own wedding. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you had a captive yeah. audience who Not loves you. Not during the ceremony, yeah. but yeah, like we had like and we had we had karaoke. That's so fun. And so people came like it was awesome. Like Paul is um his mom's side is Filipino and karaoke is huge in Filipino culture. Yeah. And I fucking love that. I mean, there's so much I love about all our cultures and especially Filipino culture, but the karaoke, I'm like, fuck yeah. <laughs> like these are my people. I love this family so much, right? So um, but yeah, so I I Music is a part of my life. I think it, as far as this work, I think it has helped me in a few ways. One very basic level, I know how to breathe. I know how to steady my nerves, you know, before before I'm nervous. And I'm always nervous. Like I get really nervous before I record. Uh, even if it's with you or with Nicole or with Amanda it's or with good. like, you know. Being nervous with, means you're yeah. alive. It's your body reminding you that yeah, you're alive. Yeah, exactly. And so to harness those feelings, right, mm-hmm. and to pour it in. And um, I think it also helps me understand passion and vulnerability that comes with sharing yourself, you know, in that kind of artistic way. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
So I think it, it helps, but you know, like I do have like these moments I'm like, oh man, like should I have been a singer? And I'm like, you know what? Fuck that. I can I can do it all. You can I still can do, do that. And for music fun can be part of my that life. Your passion and, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I yeah. love that you listen to CD and I'm so embarrassed. Like it's just it's literally just like my voice. Oh and my a gosh, piano. it's the cutest thing when your daughter gave me. I was so excited. Like I have I have merch, like even for the podcast. Cause I, I recorded CD and then I wrote a novel, like a sci-fi novel as well, like right when I gave birth to Mari. I'd written most of it before I gave birth, and then she was born. I'm like, I can do anything. 38 hours of labor, I was like, I'm going to do everything because, fuck, I'm not scared of anything anymore. And that fucking hurt, you know? And, uh, yeah, so I have um, I have the CD and I have my book, The Healer, which is available on Amazon. Yes. <laughs> Look at you just... Freaking multi-talented oh woman. Oh my gosh. I just, well, regrets are dumb. Like I. No, no regrets. You have And that's no the reg- thing. Like yeah. I, I would, like if, if there's something that I haven't done and I, like I want to do it, then I'm like, man, like why didn't I do that? I want to do it. I want to do it. You are the epitome of that person though. You said to me a couple, like two summers ago, you said, oh, I'd like to go for a hike with you. I'd never been for like oh, a hike God. on one you of the North Shore mountains. You want to bring this up now? No. So. <laughs> You want to bring this up? Oh my God, up? she looks like she's going to fight me. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so so I'm like, yeah, I'll take you on a hike. No. But I didn't want to take her just like on a walk she's that you do lying. in the UBC endowment lands or anything like that. I wanted to take her on a real hike where you, you see something and there's something at the end and you feel like you've reached a pinnacle and you've accomplished something. Sharon so I Caroline took her Taylor. straight up <laughs> Mount Seymour to Mystery Lake, which is also called Goldie Lake. And those of you that have done it, you know that like the way there is straight up. You and know there's what? parts where you actually have oh to use your hands and you're on your like hands and <laughs> crawling over the rocks. I love you and so much. She did it <laughs> though, you guys. She did it. And so that's what I thought was so cool. This is someone who is not an outdoorsy person. And so she was like, yes, I would like to try that. No, and, you're lying. Yeah. <laughs> that's not true. That is not how I remember it. I thought we were going for a walk. Like, I thought it was going to be a walk, like the kind of thing where I could have a latte in my hand and we would talk. <laughs> this was not a walk. And I had even been like, this, I wasn't going to bring Mari, but I was like, is this something Mari could do? I'm like, absolutely. I'm like, sweet. But we passed little kids on that hike. There was little kids. <laughs> there was little kids on there, too. Can't see my laser eyes. Listen, I did it. But so one of that's actually. I was such a whiny bitch. That's the one whole of my. Time. But that's one of my things for. <laughs> people when they say oh I went for a hike and all they did was like go for a walk around like UBC and, yeah but and I didn't flat. say I want to go for a hike I said I want to go for a walk I'm pretty sure you might have used the word hike I would not use the word hike with you Sharon I'm Taylor I'm gonna scroll back through my text oh shit and she's I gonna will, get receipts and that's also gonna be in the um, <laughs> the bibliography fine notes of this podcast I'm <laughs> such a because whim. I haven't deleted any of my texts in my phone I have like texts really? from like Everybody in my life. That's a warning the to, the, to everybody in the Vancouver <laughs> film industry. Because people Sharon try to argue has. with me, and I'm like, actually, <laughs> ten years ago, you said this, and I screenshot Listen, it and I send it back to them. I just, I, okay, I'm completely judging past Sabrina. Then, if she did send you, I, because I'm, I'm teasing, you're action but, actress Sharon Taylor, Sabrina. Past Sabrina would not be like, hey, I'm gonna go for a hike. And use the word hike with action actress Sharon Taylor. What 
the fuck? Well, not I mean, gonna happen. That just that, <laughs> no. What I'm trying to say is that yeah. What you, are you trying to say? Is that you are the kind of person who has no regrets. You're up for anything. You'll try everything. And so there you go. Perfect yeah, example of something that you you that you tried. And yes. Before, <laughs> Or that I was tricked into. But then we got nachos after, and that was great. True. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, who doesn't like nachos? Yeah, but then also, I was so shocked and, like, get, like breathless. I was so tired and whatever by that point. I didn't realize that the walk down was on this, like, very, like, um, well, I not steep at all. Well, I purposely chose for us to walk down the ski runs yeah. so that it wasn't too, like, Steep as the original track. There are videos, actually. I I think I can post some links because Sharon just took some videos of just me because I just I wouldn't shut up. I was, I was annoying. Well, so and you were laughing the whole time. Well, (laughs) if I can give you joy, Sharon, it was worth it. You know, you're a part-time comedian. That's why. (laughs) So you, you could do your own stand-up show if you really wanted to. That can be one of your next accomplishments. That I. So the next podcast we do, I can put that in my opening credits. Stand-up comedian. Um, but but we've talked about your high school, your musical theater, your nerdiness in elementary school. And one of the questions that you ask multiple guests on this show oh. is um, you say, take me back to 10-year-old you. Okay? Oh. So now I'm going to throw this back at you. Take me back to 10-year-old Sabrina. This answer might surprise you a little Who bit. Who was she? Yeah. And how did she view herself in the world around her? And how did she evolve into the person she is today? Oh, man. So 10-year-old me, this is going to maybe shock you because you think of me as a very, like, urban, fancy person. I don't know what you think of me, but not an outdoor person. But if if it is July and I'm 10, I met my grandparents' farm in eastern Ontario. I mean, other kids went to camp or to cottage we would just go and spend a couple of months at my grandparents' farm. And um, it wasn't like a working farm. There weren't like cows or chickens. It was like all of these, bit, like there was a barn and a log cabin and a stone house and um, a couple miles of, of uh, fields and forests, then forest lands and so many dogs, like all these big, beautiful mutts. And that farm, like I honestly, I dream about it all the time. Even if I've been dreaming about like, recording the podcast or like a sexy thing <laughs> with Paul with Paul <laughs> not always um, it, they take place at the farm like I think my soul like lives there in our family it's called the farm capital T capital F the farm hmm. um, the farm was my it was like my imagination playground uh, I'm an older sister I'm four years older than my sister Samantha and um I would boss her into like we're doing a show today, and uh, you know we would we had like a tickle trunk with all of my. So you're a director. Yeah, (laughs) I was was bossy. I was bossy. I was a content creator. There you go. Um, And uh, you know I remember like doing um, dressing up in the as the Phantom of the Opera and like doing a there was like a platform where a silo used to be and my sister and I would use that as our stage and um, and doing a show for my grandparents and my grandfather like I don't know if he'd ever met anybody quite like us people like us so he was just like he was just tickled and um I would we would explore god my grandfather used to get on his like riding more and um and 
mow these paths in the fields. So there'd be two fields before the forest. And so we would like wander these paths and then we would go into the forest and explore and pick blackberries. But it was never just like, oh, we're walking in a forest and look, we're in a forest. It was like, we were like we were on a different planet or we were in a different universe we'd, we'd walk into a different reality you know and and there were fairies and there were you know like little like ewok type creature like that that was the world that we created um and then i would spend a lot of time in the barn and climb a ladder and then go to this upper area and just reading and hmm. um Try like not to wake the childhood. bats. Yeah, it yeah. was really beautiful. So 10, though, you know, school was hard. Hmm. I mean, I did really well in school, like grades-wise. But as I say, my um, my ability to keep friends, make friends was really, it was like I spoke a different language than hmm. people. and um, Hadn't found your tribe. Yet. I had not found my people yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, but at the farm was where I felt didn't matter. I was with family. I was with the dogs. I uh, love those dogs. Susie, Lucy, Zora, Lady Blackie, shout out. Um, and Tank. Love Tank. a lot of dogs. It was a lot. They had a lot of, like, a lot of dogs over the years. You know, my first memory in my whole life is of the dogs. Uh, walking down the stairs of my grandparents' place before they had moved to the farm. This is in Chattagui in Quebec. Which is incidentally where Bad Blood takes place, but not where you filmed. Um, mm-hmm. Walking down the stairs in Shadagi, and the dog, Shadagi. Like, yeah, Shadagi, and the do- the the mama dog, the bitch uh, lady, had just given birth, and she was like feeding all of the the puppies, and you know they all died. Like I, I grew up with them, and then they all died when I was in my mid teens. You know, uh, of of old age. Yeah, pretty Ish. much. Yeah. yeah. Or yeah. like a stroke or there are a few exactly. who got hit by cars. Um, but it was a really when I was there, it, I felt safe and I felt I could dream and I didn't have to I didn't feel judged. You know, it was a really wonderful well, That's a very place profound to, age for you. Then, yeah, it was. A bit, I'm glad I asked that. Yeah. Question. <laughs> because sometimes when I hear you ask other people the question, I can tell some people don't know how to answer. Yeah. Sometimes they're like. Or maybe they don't know themselves that yeah. deeply. But I think that's a testament again to who you are and just how deeply well, I'm you also, actually know yourself. I have a ten year old. So mm. I've also been like reflecting a lot about, you know, Mar Mari's ten year old and where mm-hmm. and where I was and you know, the the differences and like our, our childhoods they don't look anything alike. But I think that the thing that is the same one is that sense of security from family and two is that um imagination and that like you know you're you're I was able to foster that and you know as far as like a direct line like I can see the line between that girl and this moment you know and I honestly like honoring the inner child that inner child is so fucking important to me um you know like it also helps me measure like what like as far as regrets go I don't regret anything that she wanted to do you know, or that she like. T- so that's why writing a book was so important, and getting it, get, getting it written, and getting it out there. And then I'm like, great, like I did that because that was that would be huge for her, you know. And I think that that she would think that this life is pretty dope. Um, although she might be like, you're a mom. Ugh, did it hurt, <laughs> boy? Did you have ah. to take off your underwear yeah. to have a baby? <laughs> oh my god, I'm never having a baby. Oh yeah. <laughs> Um, and oh, and she would probably be like, "You don't have dogs, you don't have any dogs." 
that can always be rectified yeah. at some point. There's I got no. There's yeah. no rule to when the dogs. I got to tell you though, the cats that I have. Yeah, you've got cool. Cats. Fit my lifestyle, and they're named after comic book characters. Well, I mean, and objectively, they, if I look at you, you, I see you as a cat more than yeah, a dog. I know, and that's yeah. that's. I, I really love dogs. I respect cats, and I would be a cat if I were to be any animal. Indoor bathroom, you lie around and groom yourself all day, yeah. and everybody's like, everybody's giving you. you like massages yeah, all the time. I fucking love that. But um, yeah, I grew up with like really big, beautiful. They were all like, they're all like um, black labs mixed with German Shepherd. Mixed, like they were just, and they were so smart and big. And like, I have this great photo of me at like, eight months old wearing a like I love my granddad shirt and I'm mm-hmm. sitting there with like like next to these two big dogs and just so happy and safe so yeah I think I think yeah 10 year old Sabrina I think she would think this life is pretty cool well you're pretty cool oh Sharon and Sharon 10 year old Sabrina had a dope life and she's created a very dope life for Thank herself you. Thank you. And I'm so glad that we had this opportunity to get to know you better. Oh, my God. dive deeper. And you are an incredible part of our Vancouver film industry. And as a community, we are so fortunate to have you. And you are an important part of it. Oh, my God. So thank you on behalf of all the actors and writers and directors and producers and people that do the work on behalf of all of us thank you for everything that you do oh thank you sharon taylor recent leo award winner sharon taylor for jan she won a leo and i bawled my eyes out and um yeah you're amazing i love this this We're was not terrifying. <laughs> I was scared. No, no, I mean, like, the glass of alcohol probably helped. Totally no, Totally helped. No, no, I probably fine. said fuck a whole bunch more times. No, you didn't. You were really good. What did I say? I'm starting to get sober again. Well, <laughs> I will finalize by saying like and subscribe. Woo! Leave us a review. Find us at www.yvrscreenscene.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at YVR Screen Scene. The YVR Screen Scene podcast is hosted and executive produced by Sabrina Ronnie Firmager. Except for today, <laughs> when it was hosted by me, Sharon Taylor. But it is edited by Simon Firmager. Special thanks to Mariana Firmager for recording our Patreon ad and to Paul Firmager for technical support. And to Dane Not Firmager Develer. For the original music. YVR Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. And epilogue. The emergency family member that was calling me was calling me to ask me if she should pick up cheese on the way home. (laughs) And the emergency setting on the phone for do not disturb is only if people start calling you multiple multiple times over and over again so that's why it gets activated and that was the question that she had i i respect the fact that (laughs) you take your cheese so seriously (laughs) and cut this ad begins with a story about an important but largely forgotten piece of hollywood north history the fish flight 
In the 1980s, the fish flight was an early morning flight from Vancouver that delivered fresh fish to Los Angeles before the start of the business day. These were the early days of Hollywood North, before digital deliveries and fast transfer speeds, and the pioneers of the Vancouver film industry began loading up the fish flight with film reels so Hollywood execs could review the footage shot on the previous day. The fish flight was also one of the building blocks of the visual effects and animation mecca that is present-day Vancouver. And Fish Flight Entertainment builds on this legacy. Fish Flight Entertainment serves the games, film, and television industries. We remember the days of the fish flight and attack our projects with the same passion as those pioneering days of yore. We believe in jumping off the cliff and building our wings on the way down. And who knows? That old fish with improvised wings may even fly. Learn more about Fish Flight Entertainment at fishflightentertainment.com. That's fishflightentertainment.com.